This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, under eating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though, in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time to fess up. <laughs> it's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? of it? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. Ooh. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. <laughs> now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> there <laughs> is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. everybody and welcome to Fruit Loops episode eight. Thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white, but 
because serial killers tend to choose victims of their own race and the press just loves to report on white victims while neglecting the stories of people of color. There is a prominent belief out there that all serial killers are white, but guess what? That's wrong. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of these serial killers and uh, the true crimes committed by people of color and their victims, amen, that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well, the news is racist. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. Mm -hmm. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Some of the things that we discuss on this podcast may be triggering and or disturbing to some listeners. Please know that we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. So please send any questions or comments you may have to uh, fruitloopspod at gmail.com and enter at your own risk. How are you? How was your weekend? Um, kind of busy. Uh, yesterday I did a lot of socializing, which is unusual for me because I, I usually hide. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. That sounds nice. So, how's your how was your weekend? Um, let me think. So, uh, school starts tomorrow, and for my kids, um, we got a first grader and a preschooler, and uh, so we did back to school shopping which was so right. fun but yeah. it went by really fast like we we wrote a list before we went we were, we went into those stores we took no prisoners we 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 were like you wait in line now you go find this stuff <laughs> and it was it and we just it was like an assault on the store <laughs> and we got it done so fast we were so proud of ourselves Sweet. um and uh so my daughter um She's very into her, you know, summer style and she's she's already got her own lip kits and shit. So she um she's very into how she looks. And uh my son and her uh got together and decided they were gonna do a haircuts on each other. And oh, no. uh, oh he, no. I was I was in a meeting on Friday afternoon and my husband texted me in the middle of the meeting. I was like, uh, don't panic, but your son just cut off. A few inches of your daughter's hair is how he described it in the text. Well, when I got home, it was actually half of her hair was oh um, like like a pixie cut, which oh I used to rock back in the day. And I don't, I'm not anti-pixie cut, but my daughter is three. And so we were like, we need to fix this right now before school starts on Monday. Yeah. So we found a salon. They cut her hair, you know, cute and she looks like a little Halle Berry and she's just rocking Aww. it and embracing it and I was afraid that she wouldn't she would feel really be upset um, insecure yeah. yeah be really upset and I was also afraid that people at school would um like tease her for having a short haircut but um when she uh we went to like a meet the teacher thing and everybody everybody loved her hair so we're just really oh, that's excited. awesome so, well, it all worked yeah, out well exactly so um crisis averted <laughs> so <laughs> before we get into our very special episode about Anthony Sowell, aka the Cleveland Strangler, we've got some shout outs and some news. Our shout outs are when we shout out any content by people of color or uh, people of color, any marginalized groups and any true crime goodies. So take it away, Beth. 
Um, I want to recommend a p- podcast I found called I Survivor. It's Thank you so a much podcast. For <laughs> I'm glad Sorry, you liked it's it. so good. So good. Sorry, I loved it. It's a podcast on the Wondery Network, and the hosts are Jenna Brister, and I'm going to have trouble with this pronunciation. Wagatwe Wanjuki. Uh, she's a person of color. And uh, they are the hosts. They share the stories of men and women who survive harrowing circumstances. And the latest episode, uh, which I highly recommend, is called Not Today, Motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) It's about a woman who survived being attacked in a public park restroom. And uh, the title of the episode is called that because that's what she told the guy. <laughs> yeah, and episode. It is. And I was on the edge of my seat. After mm-hmm. the story, the hosts talk about self-defense and interview a guy who teaches self-defense. So it's a really good episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and they're a newer show. So they, they, I think I only saw maybe four episodes, but I yeah. am looking forward to hearing more. Um, so I second your recommendation. I uh, think it is super dope. It is a great show. Um, and I, too, would have a shout out. I'd like to shout out the um, Rest in Peace, the Trayvon Martin story. It's a documentary. Jay-Z is the executive producer. So if you are a fan of Jay-Z or the last documentary he did about uh, the kid who got locked up in Rikers Island for stealing a backpack and then uh, for three years. He, yeah, waiting, waiting a wow. trial. Um, Trayvon Martin discusses uh, is the docu series details the seventy one seconds that changed America. Um, Trayvon Martin was a teenage boy who was walking home one day with Skittles in one hand and Arizona iced tea in his pocket, and he was wearing a hoodie, and he was attacked and shot in the heart and killed by the neighborhood watch president, and. Um, he was a black teenager. He's a child and it's a heart wrenching story. Um, I don't have showtime because I can't afford it, but the makers of the film really want everyone to see it. So um, it's on showtime and I watched it on Amazon. Um, you can also at BET will be airing it later on and you can see it if you have, um, you know, that basic cable cap package. So cool. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. So, do we have any serial killer news? Yes, we do. Now, this one is a doozy. Only, only because I love onomatopoeia. Daniel Drayton, doozy. <laughs> uh, no, his name is Daniel Drayton. He, uh, he doesn't really have a, a famous name yet. Some people, I think I saw he's he's the um. Uh, social media killer or the online or dating app killer. Um, I saw also the Tinder serial killer and I like that one the best. So that's what I'm going. Yeah. With. He was, he was arrested on July 24th in Los Angeles on charges of sexual assault and attempted murder. He tried to rape and kill a woman in the, in her North Hollywood apartment. When he, the police got there, she was tied up y'all. Wow. <laughs> he is 27 years old. Yeah. So he was, a, he was going to kill her for sure. He's 27 years old. He's from Connecticut. Uh, He is alleged to have used um, dating and ride sharing apps to prey on women um, for the New York Times. Yeah. So delete your Tinder, delete your, delete your Uber, (laughs) delete your Lyft. Uh, He is, I know it makes you think twice. He's alleged to, uh, so I said that already. He has been linked to several cases involving violence against women 
His latest victim was a nurse named Samantha Stewart, and I'm not sure about her race, uh, but she was found dead in his apartment on July 17th, so a couple of weeks before he was um, picked up. So she was found dead in his apartment, and what, he took off or something? Yeah, he went to California, and then hooked up with this girl in L.A., and um, I believe he did rape her, or he tried to rape and kill her is what the article I found said. So I don't know if he actually did rape her, but she was tied up in his apartment in one account that I um, looked at. So uh, there was, so he killed this woman in New York. He went to LA and was about to kill this, uh, uh, this other woman. So Samantha is the dead one who uh, was located in New York. Um, He admitted to police to seven murders from all the way from New York to California. And he told police that voices in his head made him do it. Bullshit. Um, this is a develop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> because uh, I also read that he'd been arrested numerous times for um, like strangling his ex-girlfriend and oh um, violence against women. And they, they eventually let him go or didn't, didn't, I don't know. He didn't. I've heard that um, men who s- strangle, their uh-huh. uh, girlfriends, uh, mm-hmm. significant others. Um, that's a warning sign that they could escalate to murder. Like if they, For- if during a fight or whatever, they, they strangle them and let them go. So they, they survive. Uh-huh. Um, but that, uh-huh. that is a warning sign that, it, he could escalate to murder. It's a red flag in my mind for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if your boyfriend yeah. strangles you uh, but doesn't kill you, uh, get yeah. out. <laughs> get, get the hell out. out. And and there are and there are so many resources out there for people. For, like in all seriousness, for people who are um, under in this situation, I know it's a terrible situation to be in. But um, I think uh, uh, I, the only reason why I bring up. He, his past crimes before is that there the signs were there just like you said it's a, it's yeah. a red flag so um maybe if more people had reported it or more people had um uh got behind keeping him behind bars for these violent crimes that he'd perpetrated in the past um i don't know there's a lot of reasons why he got out but um it's just it just it's just um a, a, a general failure somewhere there was a failure yeah. in the system um, because the signs were there. Um, so this is a developing story and hopefully we'll find out enough and maybe we'll be able to do an episode about him and his um, victims. Uh, yeah. And we'll put a link in the show notes. Cool. So, yeah. Okay, so hit it, Beth. Who are we talking about today? We are talking about Anthony Sowell, an African-American serial killer from Cleveland, Ohio. He's known for his house of horrors where 11 dead bodies were found scattered throughout his home. Uh, This subject was actually suggested by my sister. And if any of you guys have suggestions for us, please let us know. Yes, please. And now, your favorite part. The stats. (laughs) Okay. So, this dude um, is um, associated with 11 known murders. He could have had more. I don't know. Um, His span of crimes was from May 2007 to September 2009. 
in Ohio. He was apprehended on Halloween 2009. Uh, and I thought it was interesting to point out that the last killer we covered was also apprehended on Halloween night. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, hmm. Yeah, a lot of crazy <laughs> shit happening on Halloween. All right, just stay inside that day, okay? Also, uh, there were six women um, who survived his attacks. So those are the numbers. Interesting. So Anthony Edward Sowell was born on August 19th, 1959, and he was raised in East Cleveland. He had six siblings, and seven of his cousins also lived with him after their mother died. God damn, that was a lot of kids. Um, yeah. But <laughs> what's the alternative? Put them in the foster care system, have them yeah. live with those two lesbian white ladies, and drive them off the cliff? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no no keep up with the family <laughs> and okay so a niece and i read in other places a cousin so i'm not really sure if it was a niece or a cousin but in any case a female family member of his who was one year younger than him lived with soul after her mother died she testified on the witness stand that his mother beat her uh starting when she was 10 years old Almost daily, Sowell's mother, Claudia Gertrude Garrison, forced the woman, the niece or the cousin, and her twin sister to strip naked in front of the other children. Then Garrison would tie them to a banister and whip them with electrical cords until they bled. I read in some places that Sowell was never abused himself nor his siblings, but in other places uh, they said that he was abused, so I don't know. In any case, he did see the abuse that was going on. And uh, the niece or the cousin said one day when she was 11, he lured her into the third floor of the home and forced her to have sex with him, threatening violence. Eventually, Sol would rape her daily, and an uncle and other male relatives in the home would do the same. Just horrible. Yeah. So it sounds like it was a house of horrors from the beginning. Yeah, from the beginning. <laughs> Even before Sol started his extracurricular activities. So um, his half-sister said that he was a mean child, very aggressive, and that he uh, told her that he didn't think his mother loved him. She maintains that it was the other way around. Uh, Sol joined the U.S. Marines at age 18 in 1978 he was trained as an electrician at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. Um, the military took him overseas to Okinawa, Japan in 1984. Um, he was discharged in the Marines in 1985 and uh, received awards like the Good Conduct Medal, a Certificate of Commendation, and two Letters of Appreciation. Um, he was married when he was in the military and had a baby girl, but he and his wife divorced. In 1989, a woman named Melvette Sockwell, who was three months pregnant at the time, went to Sowell's home voluntarily. When she tried to leave, he bound her hands and feet with a tie and belt and gagged her with a rag. He kept her in the house for days and raped her at knife point. Uh, the victim told police he choked me real hard because my body started tingling. I thought I was going to die. He told her he was going to kill her. When he fell asleep, she was able to get away. Uh, Sowell was charged with kidnapping, rape, and attempted rape. 
He eventually pled guilty to the charge of attempted rape. Sol was released from prison in 2005 after serving a 15-year sentence for attempted rape. He uh, had to register as a sex offender when he was released, um, and a psychological evaluation done before he was released concluded that he was a, quote, unlikely to re-offend. End quote. <laughs> that was a big fat <laughs> wrong answer. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and um, at the time he was released, uh, I the the laws were such that he didn't have to like notify his neighbors that he was a oh, sex offender. Really? Oh. Yeah, that changed some at some point when he was out. There was some federal wow. law that required. Yeah, because that wasn't that long do... ago, two thousand and five. No, no, and I, 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 I read that in that book. Um, oh, House okay, of Horrors, the book. I think it's called. Right, right. Yeah. So I didn't yeah, read that, that one. Um. Okay. So in my ebook, it was nine hundred pages. Pages. It was. It was lengthy, and I did my best to get through all of it. But I. I yeah, I pretty hard. Didn't have. <laughs> But I got through most of it, and I most found that little tidbit. So, um, so after his release from prison in 2005, Sol moved into the family home at 12205 Imperial Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio. And I think when he moved there, there were some family members living there, but um, they left. I think his mom died, and then uh, somebody else was put into a nursing home, but I don't remember who they were. But at some point he was living there alone. Um, yeah, I think his mom w- uh, moved into the nursing home okay. shortly after he, he moved um, got back. out of prison. Yeah. 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 And then and then after she was gone, he had the house all to himself. Right. Okay. Oh, minus the dead bodies. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so the neighborhood that he lived in is referred to as Mount Pleasant. That's kind of ironic. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> this was around the time when the economy tanked and the housing bubble burst. Uh, neighbors referred to him as Tone or Tony, and they knew him as friendly yet reserved, perhaps a little bit odd. In the 50s, Mount Pleasant was a well-maintained area occupied by black professionals, doctors, teachers, and even Don King and football star Jim Brown lived there. Eventually, the steel and auto industries took a hit and the neighborhood suffered. Hardware stores were replaced with check cashing places and liquor stores. Now, you know, at least I know, you are in the hood when you see check cashing places, liquor stores, and pawn shops on on every every corner. corner. (laughs) And and the moment a Starbucks or a Panera Bread pops up in your hood, that means you are about to get gentrified (laughs) and you better prepare to leave. Anyway, I digress. So residents that stayed only did so because they couldn't afford to leave. And uh, in comes this behemoth crack um, epidemic. Um, It was the perfect storm. Um, The drug itself was uh, cheap. It offered residents um, of this um, just down and out community uh, great intense high. uh, But it only lasted for a little while. I heard one interview in that documentary about this case. The woman said the high was only five minutes. I read other places the high for is was fifteen minutes. Anyway, so really short. Yeah, and uh, Cleveland's 
crime rates skyrocketed skyrocketed at the same time the high school dropout rate um, increased as well. Sowell lived uh, in the house with a girlfriend named Lori Frazier for some time. Uh, but eventually she got sober and uh, she left him. I read somewhere that uh, she just could not stand him being sober oh. and him uh, not being sober, which, yeah, totally makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Lori. <laughs> we ain't mad at you. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's probably other other reasons as well. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shortly after um, she left him, he lo- also lost his job and he began scrapping, collecting and selling metal and other waste material. He frequented a neighborhood corner store uh, where he would buy 40s of King Cobra and drink all day long. Uh, because of the crack epidemic, there were a lot of women walking around the streets looking to score. And Sol would take advantage of that. He would chat them up and invite them to his house to drink and do drugs. Many of them found him to be charming, and they were vulnerable because of their addictions. Yes. Now, I must say, speaking of charming, okay, I watched his interrogation videos, right? Uh-huh. And I think he was charming. You probably think totally different. I actually, no, I, his, the interrogation video, he was like far away. I couldn't see his face. I couldn't really tell what was going on, you know? So, but, Mm -hmm. um, I heard that all over the place that people found him charming, like especially women because he, he was nice to them and he would Mm -hmm. act caring and Mm -hmm. he would say, Oh, come to my house. I'll fix you something to eat. We'll, we'll drink some beer, you know, and they just found him charming. So. Yeah. Well, um, not that I was under any spell or anything, but I am just saying, I, I saw saw it even when he was being interrogated by these, these police. So. Yeah. I believe it because a lot of, a lot of those, uh, Serial killers are described as charming, so yeah. Oh right, right. Yes. Okay. Well, way to bring it back, Beth. <laughs> way to bring <laughs> us back to the story. <laughs> I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast. Carol Costello presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present, 
If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. So uh, now we're going to get into the timeline. Okay, get your 2007 calendars out. In (laughs) May or June of 2007, Crystal Dozier, she was 38, was murdered. She lived a few miles away from Soul's house on the city's east side, but a few years earlier had lived on the same street as Soul. Her mother described her as the responsible one of her children before she became addicted to crack. She was the mother of seven children when she disappeared in May of 2007. Several family members filed missing person reports, and they searched for her throughout the two and a half years she was missing, hoping to find her alive. Police were dismissive, of course, and not very concerned about the missing woman. Hmm, Why, I wonder. Uh, They told her son that she's an adult and she can go missing if she wants to. And the family papered the neighborhood with um, missing person flyers. Shame. Yeah. Then in, in June of 2008, uh, so this was like a year later, uh, Tashana Culver, age 31, she was murdered. Uh, she lived a few houses away from Anthony Soul on Imperial Avenue. The mother of four was last seen by her family in June 2008, but she was never reported missing. Uh, She had several drug convictions and worked as a beautician. She drifted in and out of family life and was not reported missing because she had disappeared and reappeared many times before. A boyfriend remembers her as being a very caring person when she was sober. Man, um... I just think, you know, people joke that crack is a hell of a drug, but it really, it really, it really is. is. Yeah. We're serious. If, yeah. Don't do it. I mean, if a mother can't, no, don't do it. And if a mother is is so like in the, just gripped by addiction that you can't be um, a mother like that. I just think that that's, I just, I, this truck is so crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy. I've just, 
I've never tried it. Um, but just never want to. Well, I don't, I won't say never want to <laughs> because it does sound like it's pretty blissful for a few minutes. So what I'm yeah. saying is when I am in my 80s and I have <laughs> nothing else to lose, this then you'll do is some crap. on my to-do list. Okay. okay. Anyway, <laughs> maybe maybe you and I uh, when, can get together <laughs> and try when, it once and, when, when we're all know, old. when my house is paid off and my kids are out of my house and you know I don't know if my husband will be alive by then. Who knows? He's ten years older than me. Um, you know my I don't I I don't have to worry if I do go to jail. It won't be for very long because I'll be in my eighties. You know what I mean? I'm just yeah, saying. You're gonna die it, anyway. So there are some things I've considered. <laughs> But I'm putting them way put it off, off put it until, until the yeah. end of life. Yes. So <laughs> August 2008, LaShonda Long, she was 24 when she was murdered. As a child, Long looked out for her siblings. She was the bossy one, relative said. She was very motherly with her brothers and sisters. Um, said uh, That's what her aunt said. She was always strong-willed and sassy, but she didn't get into any trouble. Um, but she came, became pregnant at age 14 and had three children before she was old enough to vote, and she was dead by 24. Um, and she had been deemed unfit to raise her children and had gone out of contact with her family, who nevertheless still loved her. And although LaShonda... Uh, would lose contact with her family for long periods of time, she would always be sure to call her father and her aunt every year on their birthdays. That's really sweet. On her aunt's birthday in August of 2008, there was no phone call. Um, and she was the youngest of Soul's victims. In October 2008, Michelle Mason, age 45, was murdered. She lived near Anthony Soul's neighborhood. And rarely went longer than two days without talking to her family. The family went to police on October 12, 2008, after not hearing from her for a few days. Her sister says police didn't take it seriously because of her arrest record, even though she had stopped cashing her Social Security checks. On November 10, 2008, Tanya Carmichael, age 53, was murdered. Uh, she grew up around Seoul. They grew up in the same neighborhood, and she knew him, though not well. She told friends she was going out to run an errand, and she never returned. Her car was later found in Seoul's neighborhood. Her family knew that something was wrong when she failed to come home, and they went to police and asked for help. But guess what? Uh, they again dismissed her because she was an addict and a black woman who nobody in america gives a shit about <laughs> oh sorry sorry i said that out loud yeah. uh, <clears throat> they told the family that she would come home when she was done using drugs oh really police the family put up <laughs> flyers and her daughter danita did not stop looking for her <laughs> it makes me really angry yeah yeah december 8th 2008 gladys wade made a report that soul had approached her when she was walking by his house, uh, he wished her a Merry Christmas and asked if she wanted to come in and drink beer. She declined. 
Uh, He then attacked her, dragging her into his house and up the stairs. She fought him off by scratching at his face and grabbing his testicles. You go, girl. Oh, yeah. She was able to get away and ran across the street to a restaurant, uh, but he followed her. And uh, he told the occupants of the restaurant that she had robbed him. Uh, But Gladys waited at the restaurant until Sol was gone and then flagged down a passing police car. Based on her injuries and obvious struggle, they arrested him. But the police didn't find her credible. And they stated that it was his word against hers. So after arresting him, they let him go. I was just thinking, I feel like... Law and Order SVU needs to make an episode about this. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, yeah, I just want to see. I just want to see Olivia all over it. Do you watch SVU? I I do. Yeah, I haven't watched it in a long time. Okay, but um, okay. Yeah, I watch it. I I love Olivia. <laughs> I love Mariska Haggerty. I love her. <laughs> oh my god! Who's your favorite Law and Order um, uh, district attorney? Um, let me think. Let me think. Um, you know what? I, I who's the new, the newest one, the short guy. Um, R- Raphael Barba. Yes, is it Barba? I kind of like him. <laughs> you, you do. Oh my god, yeah. he gets on my fucking nerves. Oh, don't even get me started about that stupid white privileged guy named Stone who has replaced Barba. I oh I haven't he seen it. He got replaced. I haven't seen that. Oh. I've seen it since. I'm trying to think who else. Well, there was the black guy. There was there was McCoy. There was oh McCoy. Um, yeah, I, th- I think McCoy lady. was was my favorite. He's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. Yeah, I think, I think he was my favorite. Um, is so is Olivia your favorite like general Law and Order yes, cop ever? Definitely. Mine. Mine too. Sorry, <laughs> everybody else sucks. <laughs> Uh, anyway, even Ice Cube, I, (laughs) Mr. One Line per episode, Ice Cube, Ice Tea, or Ice Tea, thank you, not not Ice Cube, sorry, (laughs) I knew it was Ice something, no, it's okay, (laughs) those Ices, those Ices, Ice, but yeah, no, he says, he says one line, and every time, okay, so we watch it religiously, but every time he says one line, you think he's got some bangers? Uh, some, no, I'm. Su- I was going to say he he had a few episodes about his personal life. His his son is gay, right? And he had a real real yeah. problem with that, and yeah. um, there yeah, I do remember there was a few episodes that were pretty that focused on him. Yeah, yeah, I and I recall those, and those. You know what? Okay, I should be more fair to Tutuola. <laughs> yeah, Tutuola. Uh, <laughs> I see. Um, but in most episodes, he just says like one line and it's, it, he's literally a captain obvious on the cast. So he <laughs> says the, ob- the most obvious, the most obvious thing. It's so funny to me, but nobody, nobody. Oh, oh, I, okay. I take that back. So there's Olivia and then slightly below her is Bobby from Criminal Intent. Ooh, oh yeah, with, yeah. I love that show. It's that's not on anymore, is it? No, it. Uh, it was. It uh, no, I don't. His, so. The actor, uh, Vincent. Vin- no, Vincent. Vince. I want to say Vincent D'Onofrio, but I feel like yes, that's wrong. That's no, that's it. That's it Vince, is. It's Vincent oh. D'Onofrio. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love okay, that. So show. shout out. There's a. Yes, me too. 
Me too. There's <laughs> there's another good podcast I have to stop and tell you guys about. It is called um I think it's called Law and Order. Yeah. The podcast. Uh, it was <laughs> uh, no, it's it's these these are their stories, wasn't it? Something like that. These are their stories. Yeah. Yeah, you could you could be right. Anyway, there's a Law and Order podcast out there and it's super duper great and they talk about everything. So, if you are also a true crime, I don't think it's far off for you to for me to assume that you are also into Law and Order and there's a podcast out there for us. So, um, <laughs> oh, so where the hell sorry, are we anyway? That was a tangent. <laughs> where the heck are we? Okay, so we talked um, about Carmichael. Oh, they let him go. We talk about Okay. Okay. So back to the story. Neighbors began to complain to the Cleveland Health Department about a foul odor that smelled like a mixture of blood and rotting meat. Everyone assumed it was coming from the family-owned store called Ray's Sausage Company, which was right next door to Soul's house. The um, Cleveland Health Department required Ray's Sausage to redo their entire sewer system, and they spent thousands of dollars doing so, but it didn't help. It still was stanky. The smell (laughs) got so bad that some residents actually moved away. It was only later after Seoul uh, was arrested that the owners of Ray's Sausage said they suspected that Seoul may have dumped some bodies in their dumpsters. Um, The owner of the corner store where Seoul bought his beer also suspected, suspected that bodies had been dumped in his dumpster. He claimed that um, he once found some smelly garbage bags taped up with duct tape in his dumpster, but he did not investigate further or report it to the authorities. Um, this was after Soul's arrest. So take that with a grain of salt. And also this stupid <laughs> motherfucker on that documentary that we saw, it's called Unseen and it's uh-huh. on Amazon. And this guy had the audacity to go on fucking camera and say that he wished there was hundreds more Anthony Souls. I think he said millions more. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's even fucking worse. Because he said Soul cleaned out the trash. This fucking guy, I don't remember what his name was, but he he should he please please, let's shame him out of business. Okay. He should not be serving that community anything. Because uh if you if he, people, he just called them garbage and that Anthony Soul was cleaning out the garbage. Literally. I, mm-hmm. I he, he said it really That's what needs he said. to be yeah. sh- he said it. He, I, I just I don't understand how he can say that and then look at himself in the mirror. Because here's okay, this is another thing that is shameful is he's a brown person. He's a brown immigrant. Yeah. And I guess think what he looked brown like I th- I think he was maybe um Middle Eastern? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Oh, well, my, my point is that um, the, in, in, at least in um, the, the, the zeitgeist of, of, of people of color is that they say when, when they're done discriminating against African-Americans, who's next? Yeah. And that guy is the type of guy who's next, yeah. a.k.a. Muslim man, oh, a.k.a. Yeah. Donald Trump xenophobia. So I just think that he should be a little bit more careful about the people he calls garbage. Because when the when the right person is is in charge and looking at him and looking at us, black people or brown people, they're not going to distinguish any any one person from garbage or store owner they're going to look at all of us the same way yeah. so i just think um 
this this man is forgetting where he is in the United States of America because people, white people, I think will look at him as garbage too. So check yourself yeah. before you wreck yourself. <laughs> anyway, I digress. <laughs> Okay, so in uh, January, <laughs> oh no, no, I totally agree. Uh, <laughs> just getting on with the story. <laughs> okay. So uh, January 17th, uh, 2009, uh, Kim Yvette Smith, she was 44 and she was murdered. As a child, she was close to her parents and gave them no trouble. But as a teenager, she began doing drugs. And by the time she was an adult, she was addicted. She never married and was the only one of the 11 victims who never had children. Friends described her as the artsy type, and she and her father made a pact to take care of each other. Smith uh, stayed with her father and looked out for him after he developed a spinal injury that left him in a wheelchair. And her father uh, was a Marine Corps veteran and he loved and supported her despite her drug addiction. He encouraged her to turn her life around. Uh, he had paid for drug treatment programs and psychologists, provided her oh, with wow. a place to stay, food, and spending money. Her father never gave up on her. He visited her in lockup when she was uh, arrested for different charges and then would take her in when she came home. He believed she could change, and then she was gone. After she disappeared, her father offered a reward to help find her, uh, but she'd been murdered by soul and buried in his garden. Oh, that's a sad one. On April 2009, Nancy Cobbs was age 43 when she was murdered. She herself said that she was a very poor mother. But as she got older, she got her life back on track, and she was helping to raise her grandchildren. She disappeared in April around the time of her birthday. She was reported missing in Cuyahoga Metropolitan Housing Authority uh, Police on June 11th and to Cleveland Police on November 2nd. She had four children and was living with her daughter about three blocks from Seoul's house. She was familiar, a familiar face in the area and had a history of drug abuse. She was often seen sitting on a stoop with Soul drinking beer. When she disappeared, friends and family combed the neighborhood looking for her. And she was buried in Soul's garden the whole time. In April 2009, Melda Hunter, 47, was murdered. She was known to her friends as Amy. And family members say that she loved to read, watch television, and do crossword puzzles. As a young teenager, she gave birth to a daughter that was born deaf and with cerebral palsy. She also later gave birth to two sons. Amy found solace in drugs, and her brother says uh, he dropped her off in Seoul's neighborhood several times and knows that she occasionally drank beer with him in his house. Family members say she vanished in April of 2009. In June 2009, Janice Webb, age 49, was murdered. She often hung out in Seoul's neighborhood and was last seen on June 3rd. Her family reported her missing about August 2nd. Wow, two, mon two months later? Yeah. Cleveland police say they searched for her uh, unsuccessfully by checking with friends and relatives and at area hospitals and shelters. 
Her sister says she was a loving person who struggled with drug and alcohol addiction. She was also described by her family as a joker. Webb was a mother of one and a grandson, a grandmother of three. In June 2009, Talasia Fortson, 31, uh, was murdered. Fortson liked arranging flowers and attending church. She had three children but lost custody because of drug use. She still spent time with them, though, uh, and when she didn't show up to braid their hair, uh, family members became alarmed. She was buried in Soul's Garden. September 2009, Diane Turner, she was age 38 when she was murdered. Um, she was the mother of six. Five of her children had been taken away from her due to drug use, but she had been sober for 21 months and was pregnant with the daughter of her new boyfriend. She was involved in the church and had finally broken her longtime addiction to crack cocaine. She truly believed she could be a real mom to the little girl she would name Denise. When Denise was born was uh, probably the best time of her life. The boyfriend was James Martin, and he said she was clean. Everything was good. But because of her past and despite no evidence that she was using, social workers removed Denise um, from her mom's care four days after she was born. Wait, why? Yeah, I I, I don't know why. Um... But they they found reason to remove her, even though she wasn't using. Okay, we need to overhaul CPS. Uh, (laughs) Turner fought to get her daughter back, but failed. Um, And it shattered her, and she relapsed. Um, After more years of abusing drugs, Turner disappeared in September of 2009. The last of the 11 women to go missing, her body was found in a third floor bedroom of Anthony Soule's house. She had never been reported missing, and her remains took the longest to be identified as well because of her severed severed family ties. And then on September 2nd, 2009, um, Sol was a registered sex offender, as we mentioned before. Uh, And because Mm -hmm. he was a registered sex offender, sheriffs were allowed to make surprise visits to his home. Uh, So on September 2nd, uh, they came to his house, chatted with him, and left. And they had no idea he had a bunch of dead bodies in his house. And this this confused me because... Come on! (laughs) I mean, the the neighbors are complaining (laughs) about the smell. Didn't they smell something? Didn't they smell something? Oh, my God. Uh. It's fuckery at its finest, everybody. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So... Anyway, Cleveland PD, you're you're trash until you get it together. <laughs> On September 22nd, Latundra Billups, a.k.a. Lala, a black woman, mother of five, she went with Soul to his home to drink beer and smoke crack. Lala was a mutual friend of both Soul and his ex-girlfriend, Lori Frazier. She had heard a rumor in the neighborhood that Soul abused a woman in the neighborhood, subjecting her to rape and imprisoning her in his house. But uh, her addiction outweighed her fear about what she heard. She knew Soul and she had been to his house before. Um, I think she might have even been friends with Lori Frazier. Yeah, they were mutual friends. So they were yeah, familiar. They, were, they knew each um, other. Yeah. yeah. And they were drinking and doing drugs when he attacked her, punched her hard in the face, and began choking her with an extension cord until she passed out. When she woke up, she saw him sitting in a chair. 
And um, Sol looked like he was shocked to see her wake up. And uh, he said he was going to kill both her and himself because he knew he was going to jail. She promised she would not send him to jail. And he apologized. Um, he offered to replace a sweater um, that he'd torn off of her and asked if she would come back the next day. She got dressed and assured him that she wouldn't tell anyone um, if he just let her leave. She reported him to the police and went to the hospital to do a rape kit. But the police took three weeks to actually contact her. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so after... Imagine if she had been a white lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. So that was on September 22nd. Um, she reported uh, this rape. And then on October 19th, before the police had contacted LaTundra or Lala, um, mm -hmm. October 19th, 2009, Sean Morris, a black woman who was married with children, uh, who struggled with drugs and alcohol between periods of sobriety. She was partying one morning when she ran into Seoul at a bus stop at 7 a.m. She agreed to go to his house to continue partying. Uh, he offered her crack and beer. She left Seoul's house around noon but returned to the house because she forgot her ID. It was at that time that Sol attacked her and began strangling her. According to Sean, during the attack, he said, I hate you bitches. Look at you. You've got a husband at home and you out in here in the streets. And he was just going on and on about how I hate bitches. And that's why I hate bitches. He raped her vaginally and attempted to do so anally when she started screaming very loudly. He jumped up and started closing all the windows. She was sitting right in front of a window, and she knew he was going to try to kill her. So she attempted to jump from the second-story window, still naked. Uh, Sol tried to grab mm -hmm. her and pull her back in, but uh, apparently when Sol realized that he couldn't get her back in the window, he pushed her. And she fell out onto the concrete below. A crowd gathered uh, around when they saw an injured woman lying on the ground and a man standing over her, both naked, in the alley between the Sowell House and the Sausage Shop. So uh, 911 was called. Donald Laster, a landlord in the area, demanded that Sowell stop moving the woman. Sowell said that uh, she was his wife. That's not true. And that she had accidentally fallen from the window while they were having sex. Sowell said, I'm going to take her back into the house. Uh, she's all right. Laster gave the unconscious woman a T-shirt to cover her up. Sowell was attempting to pick Morris up and move her back inside the house, but stopped when one of the onlookers yelled at him not to do so. Sowell became visibly angry and tried to get the witnesses away from where Morris had fallen. He eventually got Morris to her feet and back inside as an emer emergency vehicle pulled up. Sol rode in the ambulance with Sean and told the cops he was her husband and gave the same bullshit story about her falling out of the window during sex. Sean had two broken hands, eight broken ribs, a skull fracture, and a brain aneurysm. Woo! She had lost consciousness, and when she woke up in the hospital two days later, she was like, hey, nurse, can I call my husband? And the nurse was like, Hey, boo, your husband rode with you in the ambulance. And she told the nurse, that wasn't my husband. 
And she was really freaked out, so she didn't tell the police anything. Yeah, at first I was like, why didn't she notify the police? Uh, but then I read uh, that she she told her husband that she was in a car accident. Uh, so she was probably ashamed yeah. about what had happened mm-hmm. and didn't want her husband to know. Either that she was doing drugs mm-hmm. or that she was with another man or uh, that right. she had been raped or really any of it. I mean, that that would be... right. Uh, hard to hard embarrassing. To tell. I mean, yeah. embarrassing. Hard yeah, to hard, hard to share with yeah. anybody. And I think I also read that her husband was also he, while they had been together a long time, was starting to lose patience with her. Yeah, um, with her addiction because she just couldn't stay sober. Yeah, yeah. And I suspect that so. the main reason was um, that she didn't want him to know that she was doing drugs. Yeah, but she also said uh, that Soul told her. That he would kill her if she went to the police. But I don't know when he would have had time to say that. Uh, because, you know, she fell yeah. out the window and then there were all the people around. And then they went in the ambulance and she lost consciousness. consciousness so, uh, I don't know. Uh, and it could have been just a feeling that she had that uh, he would yeah. kill her. You know, so that that could have been part of it too. But... I'm sure yeah, she maybe. was ashamed, and uh, yeah. it's unfortunate. I also must say, there's surveillance video of her. Oh, yeah. Not falling out of the house, but him. him. She's in, like, these bushes in between the building. He comes out. He's naked. They're, they're Helps, both naked. Like, gets yeah, on top it's of so her. weird. They're both naked. And then, yeah, it, and then he helps her up. And I was watching on my phone. You were probably watching on like a bigger screen. So it it, it was very grainy on my phone. It was but he grainy, like yeah. gets her up. They're both naked and he gets her and he walks her towards the side of her house. I don't know if they may. I don't. It sounds like they didn't make it inside the house. But anyway, there's video of it out there. Get that Amazon. Yeah. Watch. Um, watch that uh, documentary. Uh, documentary because, yeah, they have the surveillance on that. I haven't found it anywhere else. Um, but yeah, it's it's like crazy <laughs> like what i'm like yeah i'm like what am i looking i what? rubbed my eyes i know i like, got what the some hell's going on for my glasses <laughs> what am i looking at <laughs> so, okay so police finally took a statement from latandra billups at the sex crimes unit office on october 27 2009 if i had the hip-hop air horn handy i would push it (laughs) now get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues immersive scenes danger and romance That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. (laughs) On October 28th, Durst met with Cleveland City Prosecutor who issued an arrest warrant for Anthony Soule pertaining to the rape of LaTondra Billups. Durst 
also conferred with an assistant Cuyahoga County prosecutor and obtained a search warrant for the house on Imperial Avenue. Nursed and members of the SWAT team executed the search warrant at approximately 6.50 p.m. on October 29th. Sol was not present at the time. Um, after sweeping the house room to room, SWAT team members eventually came to a locked door at the south end of the hallway at the third floor attic area. SWAT kicked in the door and Officer Richard Butler, the first man into the room, discovered two decomposing bodies lying face down on the floor. Sol had covered the bodies with piles of clothing and wrapped one in black plastic garbage bag up to her knees. He had covered the windows to the room with garbage bags. There was also a shovel lying on the floor between the two bodies. After SWAT reported to Durst that they had found or what they had found, Durst notified the homicide unit. Cleveland police police then began a two-day manhunt for Sowell. Over the next five days, investigators would remove a total of 11 bodies in the house on Imperial Avenue. Two, Talicia Fortson and Diane Turner, were lying on the floor of the front room on the third floor. Then there was another body, Janice Webb, was buried in a mound of dirt under the basement stairs. Next body, Nancy Cobbs, was stuffed into a garbage bag that was lying on the floor of the front room next to the bodies of Fortson and Turner. Next body, Tishana Culver, was buried in a mound of dirt in a crawl space cut out of a... He cut out the fucking wall? Cut out of a wall in the front room of the third floor. Next body, LaShonda Long, was only partially located as a skull in a bucket in the basement, and the rest of the body was never found. Then five more bodies were found. Um, it was Tanya Carmichael, Crystal Dozier, Amelda Hunter, Michelle Mason, and Kim Smith. And they were buried in shallow graves in the backyard. Sol was still missing. And the FBI and Homeland Security became involved in the inv- investigation. Sol's neighbor who lived across the street, a woman named Debbie Madison, saw the police tape around his home and heard the police had found dead bodies in there. She drove to Sol's sister's house and found him there playing video games. Uh, Somehow she convinced him, this guy, (laughs) to come back with him. So uh, she drove him back towards his home. And on the way, he said, it's all going to come out now. And then at the last minute, he asked her to drive him back to his sister's house, which she did. And uh, then she came back to the crime scene and told the police where where to find Sol. When the police arrived at the house, uh, he had already fled on foot. On Halloween night, 2009, the police, or not Halloween night, it was Halloween. 2009, the police assured nervous parents that it was safe to trick or treat in the neighborhood. But they advised parents to escort their children and to stay in groups. Now, around noon, the police found Sol walking down the street. Um, At first, he denied being who he was, and he said his name was Anthony Williams. Eventually, he admitted that it was, in fact, him who they were looking for. He was interrogated for hours over the course of days. Sol at first only admitted to having bad dreams about murdering women and that he was hearing voices, but come on, bro, <laughs> we found 11 bodies in your house. So, Yeah, and he eventually opened up 
And during his interrogation, (laughs) he said he took out his anger on women, particularly those whose drug abuse and irresponsible lifestyles reminded him of his ex-girlfriend, Lori Frazier. Of course, his lifestyle was not irresponsible. (laughs) Oh, right. Uh, I do crack. But But women should not be doing crack. (laughs) Uh, Right. He also made a comment that he punished women. But he provided no useful information on the identities of the victims. The bodies were not easily identifiable. And the community was asked to help uh, identifying the victims by providing DNA samples. And the victims were all eventually identified with the help of familial DNA. And I wanted to mention that more than 4,500 pictures were taken during the investigation by the Cuyahoga County Coroner's Office. That's a lot of pictures. Oh, yeah. It's all over the internet. (laughs) Yeah, that's a a lot of damn pictures. But good, but good. good. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think uh, there was a lot to see. It was really they're they're gross. There's a lot yeah. to see. It's so gross. <laughs> but um, but I love true crime, so I was into it. <laughs> anyway, So he gets arrested. He uh, then goes to trial at his arraignment. So pleaded not guilty to uh, or by reason of insanity. His trial began on June 27th, 2011. He was represented by an attorney named John Parker, and he was charged with 85 counts of murder, kidnapping and rape. And during the trial, a woman named Vanessa Gay testified that she went home with Seoul one night sometime in August or September of 2008. They were going to smoke crack when he punched her in the face and then told her to take her clothes off. She did what he told her to do. He raped her and beat her for hours. Seoul told Gay that he was doing this because of his hatred for women who, like his ex-girlfriend Lori Frazier, smoked crack. Although Sol continued to threaten and taunt Gay, he soon became unsure as to whether Gay deserved the punishment that he normally inflicted on women who reminded her, him of Fraser. He said, you aren't like the others. You don't deserve what I'm going to do to you. He kept talking about all the women who did him wrong, who smoked crack. Vanessa Gay uh, would just agree with him. And he, she tried not to say anything that might upset him. He told her that he had an insatiable sexual appetite. That morning, she asked to use the bathroom and he let her. She testified that as she walked down the hallway of the third floor attic area towards the bathroom, she saw on the left through the doorway into a room um, to what looked like a body with no head on it. Woo! It was propped up, sitting on the floor. I did not realize this. <laughs> and it was taped up, but it had no head on it, y'all. She was terrified, but also had a feeling like it was not possible, that this could not be real. 
When she came out of the bathroom, she did not let on to let him know what she had seen because she was afraid he would kill her if she, if he did know that she saw her, she saw this stuff. He let her go when she assured him that she would not tell anyone about the rape. And I don't know if this is part of her testimony or not, but in an interview, she said that she walked down the street afterwards after she he allowed her to leave the house and uh, she was beat up and obviously beat up Mm -hmm. and nobody helped her. Uh, And some people actually laughed at her, uh, which is horrible. Unbelievable. Uh, Shame on the whole community for that. And uh, she did call the police and they told her to file a report at the station. That's the attention that she got. Uh, and she never mm. filed the report because, you know, they probably were very dismissive when she called the station right. and they were like, oh, file a report. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, what's that? You, you do crack? Yeah. And okay. you're black? Yeah. yeah. Why, why don't, don't you file you, a report why don't you email and we'll me? just ignore yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so. after the trial, de- jurors deliberated for 15 hours and in July of 2011, uh, Sal was uh, convicted of 84 of the 85 charges, including aggravated murder, abusing a corpse, and tamp- tampering with evidence in the deaths of 11 women whose remains were found in and around his home in Cleveland's Mount Pleasant neighborhood. Jurors also found him guilty of attempting to kill three others who survived. And he received a death sentence. Yes. I'd say I feel like justice. I think so. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So where are they now? (laughs) So he's on death row in a maximum security prison. He has appealed. And uh, his house was demolished in the winter of 2011, and it's now a vacant lot. And it looked like, from the documentary, we saw that that people stood around and watched, and um, almost celebrated this house of yeah. They really, down. they really I think wanted that's it cool. gone. So, yeah, yeah. And I also wanted to mention that uh, Latundra Billups, the lady uh, who was referred to as Lala. Uh, she kicked her habit mm-hmm. and she, she was, yeah, Yay. she was the lady whose rape uh, finally brought soul to justice. Uh, the one that brought uh, the police finally to his house. So anyway, uh, Lala earned her master's yes. degree in social work at Cleveland state university in 2016. I thought that was yeah, Shout out that, to you, sister. That was Lala. The one, That's great. The one bright part of this story. Yes, yes, I love that. I'm I'm grinning from ear to ear yeah. just hearing that one. Yeah. Um. So one of the reasons why I love true crime is because I want to know what made these people snap. Yep. Um. And uh, Sal was interviewed by two psychologists while he was in prison. When asked what triggered him to commit the murders, he said. I don't like people who hurt kids, especially women. Women are supposed to be our protectors over everyone else, but that's not the way it is. Sowell claimed he was sexually abused as a child by a female cousin, an older nephew, and a girlfriend's mother. 
He said his mother was cruel to him and that he'd been very angry with her for years. Uh, and his female uh, cousin or niece uh, what, who was abused by him or she was abused in front of Sol and then later sexually abused mm -hmm. by him and other males in his household. Uh, that instance in his childhood may have, or many instances, <laughs> oh God, the, yeah, the horrible, yeah. horrible childhood. <laughs> that may have. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a lot. Yeah, to that probably had an influence on forming what? his views on women and sexuality in general. Uh, during Soul's interrogation, mm -hmm. he said the breakup with his girlfriend, Lori, was traumatic and he began raping and killing women after she left him. But I, I call bullshit. Uh, he claimed Ooh. he claimed that he loved her, but she was a drug addict and didn't love him back. But, you know, she she uh, kicked her habit and he didn't and she couldn't she just couldn't be around him anymore. And it seems to me more yeah. like when his life was not orderly, when he had no discipline, like when he was in the military, he, he did very well. In prison, he did very well. Mm -hmm. um, and then when he had a job and he had his girlfriend, Lori, to keep him on track, um, he did okay. But it was after after that that he turned to drink and drugs and rape and murder. So uh, he keeps going back to his relationship with Lori, but um, I think it's bullshit. It's just an excuse. I think um, that the Lori thing um, might've been what made him snap, Yeah, but there's a lot of kids and a lot of people in the world who are abused as kids um, who have terrible childhoods, who have, who live through really traumatic things and not everybody ends up being a serial killer. Yeah. So um, I, I know that there's that argument to be made, but I, I do think that there's a lot. Of, well, he did. He did very well. You mean in terms of how he fit into society? No, he could. He did not fit into society. He did very well in prison and uh, in uh, the military when he had structure and people mm -hmm. were directing him. Uh, it was when he was in society that he just left to his own yeah left to his own devices him what to yeah do, what time to wake up where yeah. to go uh, i see well um he said that it made him angry that the women he killed had children and that they were not taking care of them he thought women should be perfect and he hated the fact that they did drugs and would say things um to them about it about how he wanted to help them and he would act caring he claimed that some of the girls reminded him of his girlfriend and then um and then he would get angry On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. 
You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events... On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. So that's it for the story. Um, He's on death row. And um, now we're going to get into what Beth and I found interesting about the story. So some of our takeaways. So um, I guess here I go. Let me just make sure there's no rattlesnakes (laughs) upon me as I am here in my garage in the (laughs) desert. I thought I heard a rattle, (laughs) but it could have, it could have just been, it could have been, could have been, could have been anything. Um, (laughs) Anyway, if I die, you'll just, just tell me. You call just my husband. Okay, thanks, Beth. Anyway, <laughs> just instant message my husband on Facebook. Okay, anyway. Um, so my takeaway is um, when people are in the throes of addiction, they might do things or involve themselves in things where um, their safety or their well-being might be, well, uh, you know, compromised. And Mr. Sowell is a monster for taking advantage of these vulnerable women who had addiction problems. Um, I, I, as a black and brown woman, shame on this black man for doing this to these women in this community. Um, I think it's awful. I don't think that he's the only one. And I think that um, it is just disgusting. On top of that, crack was uh, criminalized and has a terrible stigma attached to it, um, which is why the cops didn't just jump in and save all these women uh, right away. Uh, It was a shame that there was um, no resources available to these communities who needed addiction and recovery help. Um, The crack epidemic is um, fraught just as the current opioid epidemic is, Um, but the two crises are treated Hmm. very differently. Hmm, I wonder why. 
hmm, I have a theory or two. It starts with an R and ends with aceism. Um, also, <laughs> there were so many signs that something was wrong at this house. He was a sex offender. Um, and the smell was awful. And the smell is uh, sticks out in my mind because I've heard other um, true crime podcasts where neighbors um, that were um, their testimony was included in part of the story indicate that this motherfucker's house smelled terrible, and it turns out it was because oh, there's yeah, a bunch of bodies yeah. in this place, and so it just blows th- my just, mind that what? the police what? went to his house uh, because he was a sex offender. They. They went to his house, you know, more than once uh, to check on him. And yeah, but, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the smell. And uh, you guys weren't concerned enough to go yeah, inside. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so that's what I think. Yeah. So we <laughs> mentioned uh, the documentary called Unseen. It's on Amazon Video, and it's Mm -hmm. about $3 to rent, uh, so totally worth it. Um, it, Yeah, I was really affected by it, uh, because they interviewed a lot of the victims who survived, Mm -hmm. and family members of those who did not survive. And they talked about how many of these Mm -hmm. women were uh, brought up in alcoholic, drug-addicted families, and it seemed like, to me, like they hardly had a chance. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was kind of sad. So yeah, I thought I thought that the odds were definitely yeah. stacked against. Yeah, and anyway, when people so. say, "Oh, they just um, got to pull themselves yeah, up I by them, their bootstraps," but um, you know, when you're brought up in a situation like that um, as a child, it's really difficult to uh, move out of that. It's it's really um, the exception the person who is able to get out mm-hmm. of that and actually uh, be successful, be meaning just having a normal life, you know, um, it's, that is really yeah. the exception because uh, it is so hard yeah. what, when you're brought up in that environment uh, to get out of it. You know, your parents, your, your grandparents are using, exactly. you know, everybody's using and, you know, uh-huh. Yeah. Everybody's using. So anyway, um yeah. by the way, the only people who say who say that get get you get get out of the bootstraps thing are usually only yeah. privileged. Yeah, I who say that. I've never heard bullshit. a black person say that. It is such anybody. bullshit. That makes me so mad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hi I wish I could high five you through the internet airwaves. Um did I you agree. know that uh pulling, Sorry pulling yourself you up by your bootstraps was actually uh that phrase was actually meant to be satirical. <laughs> oh, it was supposed to be a joke? Yeah, because you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> okay. Then this whole phrase needs to be canceled. Uh, yeah, just to stop. <laughs> Hashtag canc- cancel pulling people up by their bootstrap. Has- Hashtag that shit right now. Okay, yeah. listeners? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. That is impossible it's, to it's do. It's impossible to do. So <laughs> yeah, the phrase was initially meant as, as a joke and then people just latched onto it. So yeah, you can't do oh, it, God. you know? <laughs> <laughs> that explains so much. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so to get back to something so, more sad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I did okay. want to mention... 
that it is suspected that Saul kept these women prisoners, uh, the murdered women, uh, prisoners for days Mm -hmm. before killing them. Um, like mm. Crystal Dozier, for example, she went missing in May of 2007 around Mother's Day. Uh, but the coroner mm-hmm. estimated her date of death as June of 2007. I don't know how accurate that is, but uh, they do suspect huh. that he kept them for days. And there was one, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember which one it was, uh, one of the survivors said that he had threatened to throw her in a closet and forget about her. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ooh. And again, uh, these women were just treated like garbage uh, by the police, by everybody, uh, not listened to. And many more rapes and murders happened than had to because the police just dismissed missing person reports, the reports of rapes, and really everything. The whole damn thing. Yep. What are you guys doing in Cleveland? <laughs> Uh oh, <laughs> I, my mom was like, uh, "Wendy, maybe you shouldn't say such awful things about the police." <laughs> but um, I would not do that, mom. If they didn't do such, they awful just need things. to do. Their I'm jobs. sorry. Some, some of the police are <laughs> they, good; they're doing their jobs. But you know, other ones like this this example, not so much. Not so much. Not so much. So they can do better. That's. That's all I'm getting at, Mom. Don't they can worry. do better. Anyway, yes. uh, <laughs> so uh, now this is where we, um, based on all the craziness we've just discussed during this episode, our ideas on how you guys can stay safe. So <clears throat> if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. So, <laughs> so this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. Uh, We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to to be safer. Uh, But in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. That's right. But today uh, our tip is addiction is a disease, period. Full stop. Nothing else after that. That's it. (laughs) If the disease was cancer or diabetes, you would get treatment for it. And addiction, in my opinion, should not be treated any different than any other disease that we uh, deal with on a daily basis. Being addicted to substances compromises you uh, mentally and physically and spiritually. And you can end up putting yourself in really unsafe situations like Anthony Sowell's house. Mm -hmm. Um, My tip is to get help for your addiction. If you're listening to this show, please do not suffer in silence. Um, There are a million ways to get sober and stay that way. There's AA, there's NA. I personally think that they're kind of antiquated forms of getting sober, but they work for some people. Um, Church groups, books, lots of podcasts on sobriety out there um, to help you get sober and stay sober. Contact uh, Google Alicia, hit the Google machine um, to look for um, help, or um, there's a national hotline um, to help people get sober. It's 1-800-662-HELP. That's 4357, 1-800-662-4357. And yeah, I just want to say that's a great tip. 
And I just wish that we had better access to mental health treatment in this country, including, you know, substance abuse. In order to get treatment, uh, you need money. And people who are addicted Mm -hmm. don't usually have money. Funny like that. Uh, And we are just throwing these lives away. And as an example, Lala, you know, she, she was an addict and she mm-hmm. was able to um, shake her addiction and sh- get a degree. And, you know, just yeah. to dismiss these people as just garbage and he's just throwing away the trash. That's uh, just pisses me off. Just, just awful. Yeah. Like, these are people. Yeah. These are people with families. These are people with yeah. parents and siblings and, and children. And they're human beings just like everybody else. That's yeah, it. Yep. And uh, there's always hope. Oh, totally. 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 I, I I don't know how open you want to be with addiction in your family, but it, it's pretty prevalent in mine. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, that's I just look – I have learned to just look at it as a disease. Right. I've been in interventions before. Have you ever been to an intervention before? Um, not <laughs> not as such. No, I mean, uh, I went through counseling, and oh, my brother is the the addict in my family. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. did you guys ever have an intervention for him? You know, not as such, but we did have counseling sessions where we talked about mm-hmm. his addiction. Um, but he mm-hmm. was not open he was not open to it at all and uh he did go through rehab a couple of times and i participated in the rehab you know Mm -hmm. um oh cool yeah but he he just was not interested in getting sober ever he bullshitted his way through it he was not interested in getting sober oh see i think um so that's key and i also think um it it just goes to show you how hard it is to get to to overcome an addiction it, i mean it just it really is a disease of the mind and the and the body and it just takes takes over yeah. everything and so um you know i think there's different degrees of addiction i think that um but i, I think it's either you it's such a complicated It is very subject. complicated. And, and, and I have to say, I think my, my brother, it, he, there's something more going on there. I think he has an social mm-hmm. personality disorder. So I don't think it's just addiction. Ah, mm-hmm. ah, uh, uh, yeah. And um, that's just the thing. I think one thing we didn't talk about is Anthony Soul used alcohol and drugs himself. And nobody ever called him an right. addict. But he probably oh, was. Um, yeah, he definitely anyway. was. Yeah, and then he's he's being the punisher of these women, and um, you know, like he like it's fine for him to uh, drink and do drugs, but uh, women, no. It just ugh. no, and that's fucked up. Yeah. Okay, so that doesn't seem right. So, um. So that kind of wraps up our story, our takeaways. And now we just want to give a chance to say thank you to people who have been listening to our show. And um, <clears throat> I'm getting a little bit sentimental only because um, I have taken up the charge of um, reading all of the reviews. And um, 
most of them are good. I would say um, there are only a couple. Well, there's only one that I think was not kind. Um, and that's okay because I think um, I think the person who was doing the review was trying to be constructive. And um, uh, he or he or she was um, uh, an Arizona native and wasn't um, as happy with our baseline killer episode as um, other people were. Um, for the most part, though, we do get really great reviews. And if you do have anything negative to say, or more importantly, constructive to say, please do, because it helps our show and it helps you listening ultimately. Um, so I'm going to share a few of the um, nice reviews that we got. Um, sometimes we get emails, sometimes we get tweets, sometimes we get reviews on platforms. And so here goes from iTunes. And we've got a pretty good rating on iTunes right now um, and on Stitcher. So um, let's just keep them coming uh, because we love you and we love it. Thank you. <laughs> this is from <laughs> this is from um, Bocaholic. And uh, I can relate. <laughs> love these ladies is the title of the review. And Bocaholic says, I love hearing new stories I haven't heard yet. Love these ladies. I'm excited for future podcasts. And Bocaholic gave us a good rating. So thank you, Bocaholic. Um, blessings to you. Yeah. Amen. By uh, This one is by Chelsea based on a true crime. She says, I'm assuming Chelsea is a girl, but I could be wrong. Oh, boy. No, nope, she's a girl. She's a girl. Okay. Love this pod. So great to have more coverage on serial killers of color. Keep the amazing work up. Thank you so much, Chelsea underscore based on a true crime. Do you know her? Yes, I do. Actually, uh, she, oh. based on a true crime is her podcast. <gasps> oh, it's actually an awesome podcast. It's Ooh. Chelsea and her husband, David, and they are uh -huh. just adorable. <laughs> They're so cute. Oh. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not oh, usually, okay. I don't usually like a big fan of like married people. <laughs> They're usually annoying, oh. but the, these, these, uh, this couple is like just adorable. And um, they, uh -huh. what they do is they um, review movies that are based on true crimes mm -hmm. because David is oh. a fan of horror and Chelsea is a fan of cr true crime. So um, they watch a movie uh, that's based on a true crime and they talk about uh -huh. the crime and how uh, realistic the movie is or how true it is to the crime. So, yeah, it's a really good podcast. So definitely a shout out to based on a true crime. Everybody should be listening to that one. I'm going to add it to the queue. And you know what, Miss Chelsea? <laughs> you found it you found the <laughs> i found it and it's just for you Chelsea, baby girl thank you so much okay this is an itunes review um it is by queer and worried and queer and worried gave us a wonderful review so thank you queer and worried queer and worried said great voices and chemistry the hosts of the show provide a ton of information as well as give great and sometimes hilarious analysis of the facts about serial killers at first i was unsure about why politically it was important to showcase serial killers of color there are so many 
ways in which POCs are marginalized. POCs, by the way, are people of color, in case you don't know, are marginalized. And I at first thought the podcast was counterproductive to dismantling racism. However, after continuing to listen, Fruit Loops has shown that the lack of attention these crimes gets is harmful to the marginalized victims of these crimes. I really appreciate the open and honest conversations being had on this podcast. Keep doing your thing. You know what, Queer and Worried? We will. Yeah, Thank that's you. an awesome review. Thank you so much. Yeah, we. I mean, um, I'm going to have to show this one to my mom because she thinks what I do is bullshit. And this is a very nice review. So thank you. (laughs) It's almost making me tear up. (laughs) I can't tell if I'm crying or if I'm sweating in Garage Studios. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. So speaking, I have to give you a thanks, Super Producer Beth, for um, editing the show and um, producing it. And um, I... (laughs) Wendy goes on lots of tangents, y'all. And <laughs> that's why we love this again. podcast. <laughs> I love your so, tangents. Uh, <laughs> so, well, I and I love doing the show with you, Beth. So this is this is a lot of fun. And but it would be impossible if Beth was not here. So thank you to super <laughs> producer um, Beth and Beth. Because you're so super. Um, where can the people find us? I need to be more professional and stop hitting my microphone. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Our website is fruitloopspod.com. And you can find us on Facebook. Uh, we have a page called Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. And we are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. Also, links to our sources will be in our footnotes. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there.
24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. <laughs> 